Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. And I'm talking to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's been on the podcast a number of times, talking about varied things. Um, but uh, what I want to talk with him about today is two things. One, uh, this chapbook uh, press, or this micropress, I guess they're digital uh, chapbooks more than anything, that you've been doing called Model. Uh, so yep. I'd like to just talk a little bit about your history in the micropress world and that specific uh, project that you're doing. Uh, and then also a little bit about your new book, uh, Sunny Ways. Ryan's primarily a poet, uh, and he has a number of books out, but his newest one is called Sunny Ways. And I think it connects in some ways to model press in the sense that um, both of them are very different but I think they're both in some ways still kind of like thinking through a community space. Mm. Although this Sunnyways has an ecological uh, bent and interest, I still think there's a level at which it has the kind of ethos uh, that maybe in more kind of optimistic manner is being played out in model press. So I just, for starters, though, Ryan, could you just talk a little bit about uh, so your background? as a poet and in the micro press and kind of what you're doing with model and what led you to that point. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So we know, we know one another from, from Calgary. And uh, I don't know, for me, like with all my projects, for whatever reason, all roads lead back to Calgary, whether I want them to or not. Um, and when I was in Calgary, after I finished my undergrad in uh, 2001, um i started doing started doing small press stuff because of course calgary was a big small press hub like uh at a certain point early in the 2000s it seemed like everybody was running a small press uh whether the small press was to publish them just themselves or they were publishing their friends or whether they were publishing people from out out of town uh so i started a small press um kind of in that in that milieu uh and then i started it uh when when i started it it was to like primarily self-publish uh so i put out a few chat books and within that i um i started eventually publishing other people and then and then slowly it became about primarily publishing other people and uh that press uh i think the first couple publications I was calling it Mod One Press, which was this kind of like um, it, totally illegible to anybody who didn't know me and actually illegible to most people who knew me. I was calling it Mod One Press, which is a nod to like a band I was in. It was a band with some high school friends uh, called The Mod Factor, which I thought was a fun name. Um, and uh, eventually I realized that Mod One didn't make sense. And so I just like, I played it off. I went, no, it's model. It's M-O-D-L, which half the people still mispronounce as modal. Um, and uh, and the joke after a while became like, or it's misspelled because uh, I'm hardly a model press because I was totally deprofessionalized. I did whatever I could on the cheap. Um, a lot of my early publications were... Uh, 
printed off on a photo, a, a used photocopier that my dad had bought. So I was in my parents' basement, like print printing stuff off because I could do it for free, essentially. Um, and like eventually it got slightly more professional and then slightly less professional. But like I did that for close to a decade in Calgary, just putting together books. Let me pause you for one second because yeah. I, as I hear this story, a lot of which I didn't actually know already, um, I just want to note like the similarities with what I was doing because mm. it's it's uncanny. So I similarly started started a micro press, a chapbook press called the Martian Press. I same way I was just initially I was going to publish myself. In fact, I was started specifically to publish a um, chapbook that I had written for Dennis Cooley's class. Mm. We were required to write it and publish a chapbook um, for the class. We didn't have to do it beyond that. But then I you know, just ran off extra copies. And then very quickly, it became primarily about the next big thing I did was an anthology of other people. And then right after that, I basically just started publishing other people. Like I did a couple more things myself here and there, but for the most part, it became about publishing other people. Um, I just started this press in Winnipeg and then I moved to Calgary. I continued it uh, because, and then uh, the other thing though, the reason I called it the Martian press, Ryan, was because I was in a band at the time called Mars has the advantage. <laughs> and it was actually a private joke to me that like, well, Mars has the advantage was the name of the band. So the, of course the Martian propaganda, it would be, the joke was to me, my private joke that nobody understood was that it was, the propaganda arm of the Martian invasion was the Martian press. Mm. <laughs> right. And then uh, again, most of what I was printing, I published uh, I, once I moved to Calgary, it mostly became about like things like how money, many I published and so on were completely determined by the fact that I had this sign in to the university photocopier through the <laughs> English department <clears throat> and uh, there was like a certain amount of of like photocopies I was allowed to make each term. And then that would kind of determine, my, that was my budget <laughs> for running the press. I invested in a stapler, like one of those special staplers that you know, was long. Yeah. And then I would just, you know, run everything off, you know, kind of illicitly at the university, uh, you know, using their paper, using their paper, <laughs> using their ink. Yeah. So it's just it's funny to me how uncanny that is. Um, down to like the band joke uh, being in the title of the, the publisher. So, it, so I mean, a lot of people did similar things, but just the fact that the band and then we both happened to be to Calgary and then we ended up doing some collaborations together is just hilarious to me. I think like parts of that, parts of that story are really common. Like I, even now, even though I think like um, the small press, micro press, chapbook space is way more professionalized than it was when, I started doing stuff in the early 2000s. Because um, it wasn't people... hard to professionalize it at the time, though. Like my press actually, <clears throat> one of the draws at the time, the reason I started to get so many submissions, I think, uh, was because I was doing it in many ways more professionally than other people. Mm. But the only thing I did differently, Ryan, was I bought cardstock for the covers. Yeah. That was it. Well, and now the bar is higher because people like presses uh, will go to yeah. print houses and like and get stuff done. And I don't want to slag those people, but I do think there's room for uh, well, kind of also... deprofessionalized de micro press where you're stealing stealing printing from work 
mm-hmm. and you're doing it you're doing it for the love of the game for lack of a better phrase you're doing it because you want to circulate that work and you care about it so then how'd you move into um so again as you mentioned we met in calgary you uh i believe grew up in calgary right? yeah but then um i moved there for my phd i was there for a number of years at the time that we were there it was a very active literary scene yeah i don't know how it is now but when we were there it was so active that you know i believe if i recall right i you know, Rob McLennan or somebody put together an anthology about it. <laughs> you know, like there's just so much stuff going on. And I remember distinctly, like it seemed like everybody was putting out a book. There seemed like there was a book launch every week yeah, or two book launches every week. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but I, I swear that that's what was the case. Well, it was um, like a book launch. It seemed like there was a book launch every week. And I think that's an exaggeration, but let's keep up the myth. Um, but, but at the same time, you would way? go to you would go to one of those book launches, and someone would like put a chapbook in your hand. Yeah, at the same time. At the same Cause, time, because there was a lot. Like Derek Bellew was doing chapbooks. Jill uh, Hartman was doing chapbooks. I'm trying to remember who else. There were like ten pe- other people doing chapbook presses. Yeah, just in our little circle. Yeah. Never mind, like other parts of the country and so forth. So it's just you know I mean I don't know how how um hectic it is these days but at the time it was very um there just were a lot of books being published and a lot of people doing things especially yeah. around the university but even outside the university and the spoken word scene was really big you know yeah um and, and so forth and there was even a coffee shop that at one point started publishing <laughs> like coffees like an anthology like they became a publishing company too like it was just very crazy, but then like, you know, um, a lot of people, at least that I knew, moved away, like yourself yeah. and myself. Um, it seems to me, maybe I could be wrong, but but it seems like the scene died down a fair amount. Uh, yeah, I for don't varied reasons, but I'm not sure. I don't want to speculate too much about Calgary. Yeah, I don't know I... either, but like, but certainly like you and I, we stopped for a while doing the micropress thing. Yeah we were doing other stuff and then you got back into it now um now i've kind of gotten back into publishing a little bit yeah but more comics focused than mm-hmm. anything whereas you kind of have brought back the micropress in a different form so can you talk a little bit about like how that bringing it back kind of happened and sort of the form it's in now sure so yeah i, le- I left calgary in 2011 and there were a couple kind of false starts where I said to someone, oh, I'll do a book. And then it just never materialized because there was no energy in Vancouver to do it because uh, it wasn't part of the culture at that point. The culture was more like like going to readings and talks and seeing people there. And um, like it was a lot more politicized, like but like small press, even though like Vancouver has like a history of small press, small press wasn't part of the scene at that point for whatever reasons. Um, or micro press, the same kind of thing that was happening in Calgary. Um, so I kind of like ducked out of it for uh, a decade, basically. And then I moved to, well, not quite a decade, but um, then I moved to Toronto for a postdoc in 2018. Uh, and then somewhere in the be- at the beginning of um, the second year of my postdoc, I was thinking, oh, I should do something. I should do something. I was feeling kind of alienated from from poetry. Partly Toronto is an alien alienating place to be a poet. Uh, I was away from my people and like, cause everybody was scattered. Um, 
And also I felt like just, I wasn't doing anything to like add to like, add to things. So I, I juggled a bunch of ideas. I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a newsletter. This was before the recent uh, explosion in sub stacks where it seems like everybody has to have a sub stack now. Um, I was thinking like, oh, one of the things that's missing is like um, nobody's, there's nowhere pu to publish poetics stuff, to publish like statements about like poetry or like outside of book reviews or like high academic, like publishing in a journal or something. Uh, so I thought about that. And then eventually like, I thought, oh, I, I eventually thought what you were doing, like, oh, I'm at the university. They, they've stupidly given me access to a photocopier. I'll, let me just make a couple chapbooks just to do it. And I'll steal, I'll steal uh, photocopying from the university. Then the pandemic hit and that suddenly wasn't an option. Um, and so like I wrote out the pandemic, I worked on stuff and like I was feeling more and more alienated because I think as like as most people were feeling just alienating, alienated from other people in general. And so I got this kind of like, I got this idea, I'll, I'll, let me, what if I just publish PDFs of, of and call them chapbooks and do like a nice prof professional looking job um, and just circulate them on social media. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just do a few and we'll see, we'll see how far I can take it. And so basically for the first few, I, I asked, I asked people either who I had been already talking to, uh, like during the pandemic, who I'd, who I'd kept up with or people who like, I hadn't heard from in a while that I'd like to hear from. So the first couple people were uh, Julia Pollock O'Neill and Rob McLennan, who were people who went out of their way to stay in touch with me during the pandemic. So I rewarded them in a certain sense. But also, I, I like both of their work. So it was an easy thing to ask. And so I really got into this like idea that I could like get work from them, turn over the production really fast, and just put it out there and just like circulate it. And people were hungry for it at that point, because people were like, at their computers 24 seven, they were on social media, probably way too much at that point. So uh, there, see, there's, there was a lot of, it was getting a lot of like attention on a kind of grassroots way. Cause I figured, oh, maybe 50 people will download it and then 500 would, or we get downloaded 500 times. I don't know if it was 500 people, but, um, but yeah. And so I've been, I've kept it going. Like, um, and we've put out, 29 books uh eight numbered in sequence and then one that i'm thinking about doing reissues so i did i reissued my own first book fake math as a kind of test we'll see if i do another one i don't know um and it's run the range of like different folks from across the country and even a, a couple people in the states and... yeah, yeah and you know I remember distinctly when I started doing it, I, I thought, again, the micropress thing, I thought initially it was going to be about publishing my own stuff because I was doing so much stuff. Yeah. Um, and I really wasn't getting published, you know, like I was sending yeah. stuff away. I was getting like here, like I started to get published, you know, but um, it just was so slow to me. Yeah. You know, so like, uh, I just felt like, well, I'm producing stuff faster than, you know, I can publish it basically at this point. I thought, why yeah. not just publish myself? But very quickly it moved away from that for me. 
uh, as this you know sort of did for you, right? Like, yeah. I, and, and and to me, like, what what? Because I thought initially, like, it was going to be about getting my stuff out there because that's what I was itching to do at the first in the first place. But when I realized, like, the more I kind of got into it, was I really my real interest was in kind of presenting my like the reason I wanted to get stuff out there was just to show people what I was doing. Yeah, not so much like for them to like it. But just because I wanted to like be part of like a, the community of people yeah. doing stuff, you know, and so it very quickly for me, like what I realized very quickly was, oh, you know, actually the better way to be part of this community is to like help the community out, you know, like uh, and like give them a venue for like publishing their stuff. And like I started just literally like using it as a way to meet people yeah, in, in some ways, like partly because in the middle of this. Uh, I moved away uh, to Calgary and then it was like a question of like, well, how do I even meet people in Calgary? You know? Yeah. And what I literally like started, you know, doing was like, just, um, you know, seeing who had like, like, you know, I can like present myself as a place you could publish stuff. And like, you know, yeah. like there were other ways that I was meeting people, but like, I found that was like a really easy way to meet people and to kind of get plugged in, you know, yeah. to what was going on. And so uh, I, I really liked the community building and contribution aspect to it. Like yeah. I always try to keep my hand in things that do that. Even this podcast in many ways, is that's kind of like the reason I do this podcast specifically is because at the university, when I teach creative writing, because I'm on a contracts, I can only teach first year students basically. It's a second year yeah. course, but it's just, it's mostly first year and second year students. And I don't really have an option or a venue to teach third and fourth year students so like if students want to take more classes than me at a higher level they can't yeah uh, but they can listen to this podcast right like interview writers and talk about topics at a higher level you know than i would in class so i feel like it's a bit of a community service thing and i and it's kind of taken the place this in my like newsletter and some of the other stuff i do like has kind of taken the place of the micropress for me in many ways mm. um but uh I'm always interested in that community building impulse because not everyone seems to have it. And not that it's a bad thing that people don't have it necessarily. Like can't all be like, you know, like there, there's a, there's a place to like just be in the community and not necessarily publishing other people and stuff. But I, I'm just kind of interested in that impulse, you know, because a lot of your work more, much more so than my stuff. Um, a lot of your work is explicitly uh, concerned with community as a theme or mm. community building in a practice, you know, like I, I think, um, for example, of that project you did where you were writing poems based on what people wanted, like people want, non-poets wanted you to write. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you've done a lot of, kind of things like that. And then even like I say, with a book like Stunning Ways, uh, I think in some ways it's kind of engaged in that question of well, what does it mean to be part of a community and what communities are we a part of and in what way do we have responsibility within that community or without um or, or in terms of this larger you know culture uh and i'm very kind of curious to know like how all those things kind of connect in your mind or uh in your way of thinking about poetry and poetics. that's interesting that's interesting because like i hadn't thought about sunny ways <laughs> specifically in that sense but you're right like uh like community is kind of like central to a lot of my projects from that commission project mm -hmm. to um 
think about like um i have this manuscript dealing with it that has like sections where it's like i'm just naming all these people i know and talking about them so it's got this kind of coterie thinking to it or um the same thing pops up in coast mountain foot too so it's interesting to hear you talk about like sunny ways in that way because to me sunny ways like in a sense thematically if it's about community like it's really taken up partly with what you're identifying with responsibility but also with the problem of like what happens when you can't find community because the problems because the book is about like climate change denialism um yeah and i think a lot of that is like it's partly like uh we set these logics in place in order for capitalism to kind of like work smoothly right and so like um but also like when we recognize oh climate change is a problem that problem is so immense and the solution to it involves so much solidarity that it can be easy to kind of <clears throat> well, like feel lonely and like um and like you and agency less like you can't do anything like to solve the problem i i feel almost like it, i mean maybe this isn't the way you're thinking about it but like the way yeah. i kind of have been looking at the book is when I read it as I, I felt like one of the things that you do, which is also something I tend to do is, and we've talked about this before is you'll explicitly like change direction from like book to book. Like you'll, mm. you know, I don't know if you still do this, but I remember in the past you used to like explicitly set yourself rules of like what you had been doing in the previous book that you weren't allowed to do in the next book. And so to me, when I look at, I don't know if you're still doing that, but when I look at sunny ways, one of the things that I, it is, to me, how it reads in many respects is, okay, instead of, you know, tackling kind of some of this community themes that I've traditionally been tackling, let's focus instead on this, the impulse to withdraw from the community mm. and the sort of ways in which that's justifiable, particularly in, you know, a pandemic moment or what have you, or in the face of these massive problems that one can't solve. Um, but, you know, is in a sense, um, the wrong impulse or at least, a, a guilt ridden impulse. Yeah. So like you'll have moments like, uh, like, I mean, it's a long poem in many respects. So like on page 60, I'm looking at, um, you've got a number of lines here. I think that kind of connect that in some ways where you, you bring up the idea of a bullet hell. So you've got this like, um, um, why tell spectacle what to do when you don't have to carry the weight of your own material assembly? Just bend with the weather or let it bend with you. Take your iodine pills after testing the dust caked against the windows. Lock the gates against the bullet hell. Um, like that idea that you, you'd actually separate yourself, lock the gates against the bullet hell. Like there's a way in which you're kind yeah. of referencing video game genre there. But right? it's also which... it's also a reference to, have you seen that show Chernobyl? I have, I know of it, but I haven't watched it yet. There's a scene, there's a scene where they talk about like how the radiation is traveling and they talk about it, like you'd be shot by bullets constantly, which made mm. me think of the, the bullet hell video game analogy. There's a part where like, um, one of the scientists, I can't remember, I can't remember who the, who the actress is, but she goes and she like tests the, the, what the dust that's caked on the windows and it's like you can shut the windows, but like, but like, there's still the radiation is still coming through the walls unless they're made of lead or something. So literally, there's no, there's no like, 
you can lock the you can lock the gates, but there is no locking the gates, in a sense. Right, and I think to, to me that idea, uh, it, in some ways, encapsulates like this uh, community a- aspect, like this idea that you know, well, there's this level at which it's right and proper and sensible to just separate yourself from yes. these problems and from the kind of overwhelming nature of the issue. Um, and it's not wrong to do so in a manner of speaking, uh, but it isn't yeah. necessarily the right move. And it's yeah. as dangerous to do that as to walk into outside into the bullet hill. You know, yeah. As you say, like it's, there's a way it's just going to come through the walls. Like there's no real isolation. It's almost like, I feel like it's a book about community in the sense that it's almost arguing there's no such thing as isolation, <laughs> like in a fundamental <laughs> level, if that makes sense. Like you might yeah, yeah, you know, no, that not makes want to sense. be part of this community, but you're kind of in it no matter what. And you're withdrawing from the community is almost, you know, it, it, it kind of allows a different community to operate and function in a manner of speaking. Yeah, no, it's and, this, it's this idea that I like, I write about it in other projects that I've been working on since I've, drafted this but like it's this idea that i take from this uh philosopher critic theorist aaron manning she's got a book called always more than one and part of the stakes of that is like we can't assume that like we're an isolated um um like individual um unit right like we're always connected to other things like even if we're sitting in the room alone we're connected to like the chair we're sitting on and the the air that's circulating in the room and the electricity flowing through the lights and like we're always part of we're always part of something well and uh i think this is especially true in in capitalism which is you know this malleable protean system that just keeps incorporating everything into itself yeah like uh, what i sometimes will note about capitalism is just the way that it operates it just there's no it doesn't allow an outside you know any anything you you use to resist it it'll just start incorporating into itself in some certain point where eventually you've got you know people buying che Guevara shirts you know um yeah like that whole rebel cell idea is kind of bound up in this notion right that you know you can in, in some respects um it's a system that demands participation um, and even when you try to resist it, it starts to incorporate your participation in a manner of speaking. Yeah. And that can be that in some ways that's a neutral effect. Like it doesn't necessarily require that things go poorly or off the rails. And you can even, you know, see benefits from the way that capitalism operates in that manner. But at the same time, like just the very fact that you aren't you don't really have the option. You don't have the option to opt out in a manner of speaking. It just simply requires yeah. your participation. Um, and if you don't participate in it, it starts to make your non-participation part of itself in a weird way. You know, well, this like- is, I think, one of the contradictions <laughs> of the book is uh, is that you can recognize we need like a new way of living, uh, but you can't opt out of the current one. Like, yeah. Well, you can. This is, your choice is like you can kill yourself. But sure. killing yourself doesn't solve the problem. But even then you got to buy a gun, you know, like there's, there's, there's this, <laughs> like, it's it just starts to, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, there's this, it, there's almost no outside in a manner of speaking. And that's like, you know, it, it's got its benefits in a manner, in a way, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it becomes very problematic, very fast. Yeah. And the, the, 
the the answer which i like i feel a little cynical like about it but like there's there are these lines close to the end of the book is like is like even if even if you learned a song uh that would like solve the problem that would like like decolonize things that would end capitalism even if you learned that that song you would have to learn how to harmonize with mm -hmm. i think with yourself but yourself in the world of the book is everyone else um well and, 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 and that's the problem how do you build solidarity yeah uh, and actually, i think you know it's an interesting problem and it's something that you definitely i think uh I mean, it's to me, it's a real development of some of the stuff you've been doing before, even though it's, you know, in many ways different. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I could just loop this back, but, you know, by way of wrapping up a little bit to yeah. the press. And and it, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you, what you're maybe you're kind of planning next for model press and, and also just where people can go uh, if they want to, you know, sign up to get some of these oh, book, chat books and things. So, um, this is actually a terrible time to do this interview because I feel like. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm just ending or just about to end like a batch. Like I, I do them kind of in batches, um, a batch that's been running since I think September. Although I've taken breaks in there and I've slowed it down a bit. Um, I just released a book by Zane Koss, who's a great like uh, he. Grew up in the interior of BC, but he's living in Brooklyn now. Um, and uh, he's working on this book that's about like kind of vernacular. It's very, very, for someone who didn't grow up in the prairies, it's very prairie long poemy. And that it's interested in the kind of vernacular storytelling that you get from a lot of those writers, but also interested in kind of like thinking about like why he's so attached to it as a kind of like working class white guy who moved to New York to get a PhD. Uh, and that's really interesting. And then I've got a book in a couple weeks by Louis Cabri, mm -hmm. who Louis and I have been grappling with. He He's doing a bootleg print edition, which is mm -hmm. interesting because I kind of don't, I'm not interested in it in doing print editions because like it's more work than I'm willing to sign up for. Um, but, um, but it's interesting because Louis is a guy I know from Calgary, um, who, who a lot of, like, I can credit Louis with a lot of like my poetic development because he's the guy at the reading who would talk to some schmucky kid and go, Oh, have you read Louis Zukovsky or have you, have you read Bruce Andrews and like, give me these off the cuff book recommendations. Uh, so, but after those, like, I think I'm going to take a break and not publish anything for three or four months. And then I'll sometime in the summer, I'll go, Oh, I should publish. I, I'll probably go. I'll, I should uh, publish something and I'll ask a bunch of people uh, for work and they'll say yes or no. And then I'll put out another batch. Um, Have you archived the old ones anywhere? Um, yeah, they're all, uh, they're all available on my website, um, which is ryanfitzpatrick.ca. But if you want to go right to the model press stuff, it's ryanfitzpatrick.ca slash model press um d-e-l this time yeah spelled correctly m-o-d-e-l um and um if you want i also have a mailing list where yeah i, I just have been getting soon. them emailed to me so i didn't yeah. I never bother to go to your website for it but. so if you want to get them you can if you want to get them you can either a like like wait around on twitter 
or <laughs> or Instagram and hope that you see the post when I post about it. Or you can send me an email. Uh, and my email is rcfmod at gmail.com and say, hey, can I be on the model press mailing list? And I'll send you an email saying, yes, sounds great. And I'll add you. Um, I'm hoping to continue it. I'm enjoying it, but I need a, I need a minor break from it. So sure. but well, more books in the, meantime, in the future. Yeah. So yeah. So people can email rcfmod at gmail.com to get yeah. on the list and they can go to ryanfitzpatrick.ca to read the archives while you're, uh, you've got quite a few out uh, now. So, you know, there's, yeah, there's 20, reading 29 up there. So the time that people are gone. Um, yeah. Well, that's uh, thanks so much for talking to you, Ryan, about model press and the micro press and uh, your new books anyway. So people should check out your, I mean, I really love um, a lot of your books, but uh, I probably would say my fave two at the moment are Sunny Ways and um, I mean, it's a toss-up for a couple of ones, but Sunny Ways is the new one. People should check mm. it out. Um, and yeah, thanks for chatting with me and keep writing the wrong way. Yeah.